Hi, I'm George Abernathy, the proud president of FreightWaves. Thank you for joining us at the Health and Pharma Virtual Summit. I'm thrilled today. You guys are really going to be in for a treat over the next 20 to 25 minutes. Dr. Jonathan Ward is going to be joining us and talking about the impact of the pandemic around China and, and the U.S., but we're going to go a whole lot deeper and we're going to talk about the issues that were uncovered there and what that actually means downstream. Let me do a little bit of background on Dr. Ward so you, you can know um, just from where he's coming. Uh, Dr. Ward is an internationally recognized expert on Chinese global strategy and U.S.-China competition. He's the founder and president of the Atlas Organization, a consultancy focused on U.S.-China global competition, where he works with leading U.S. businesses on strategy towards China and Asia. Following the release of his landmark book on Chinese grand strategy, China's vision of victory, Dr. Ward's commentary on U.S.-China relations became featured widely on uh, national and international television and print media. As a matter of fact, um, I think it was in January of 2020, Dr. Ward was invited to the White House for the signing ceremony of the U.S.-China Phase One trade deal and was commended at a gathering of America's foremost business leaders for his work on China. So with that as the intro, Jonathan, thank you so much for doing this. We're really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, George. It's great to be here, and it's great to be with all your members. So let's uh, let's level set a little bit uh, in our fireside chat here. Um, you know, Freightways has a lot to do in transportation. We we have a lot to talk about on in trucking companies. Why don't you give the folks a little bit of a view how some of your earliest uh, interactions in Asia really related to trucking companies? Well, George, it's great that we had a chance to talk about this earlier. And, and throughout my 20s, you know, I spent about five years living out of a backpack in, you know, China, India, Russia, Latin America, and the Middle East. And a lot of what I did back then was actually to travel with truck drivers. So I would go with long haul truckers around China, around the Middle East, um, all across Patagonia in South America. And it, it was a very great way for me to see countries and get to know people and, you know, get to a very interesting side of life that most people never see. And that contributed enormously um, to my understanding, not only of Asia, but of the wider world um, through my global travels. And I was, I was always spending time with truck drivers. It was probably my favorite thing to do was to, to go for long distances and, and, and um, did that for you know, many, many times. So, so I, I have a, a, a deep, um, how would you put it, uh, respect and, and sort of love for the industry. I mean, it's just wonderful. Um, so great to be here. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, folks domestically here will say, you know, the, the folks who know the U.S. or North America the best are oftentimes those truck drivers. And boy, we, we certainly see and, and feel that uh, here at FreightWaves. So um, we want to talk about, obviously, health and pharma. Um, as you and I had, had chatted, um, we'll talk a little bit about supply chain. Um, the, to me, one of the interesting parts is the pandemic was all unfolding was I've never heard supply chain talked about more in the common conversation or within the news. I, you know, I, I joke that if we had a drinking game on the nightly news that how many times the word supply chain was said, you'd be, you'd be pretty well, pretty well inebriated within the first 10 minutes or so, but Let's let's take a step back to when, you know, what happened in the pandemic and and how that really how that really occurred and then how that has now starting to impact on the US China relationship. So why don't you why don't you set the groundwork for us like at the pandemic and as it moved itself forward? 
Right, you bet. I mean, the pandemic, I think, has been a very important juncture in the U.S.-China relationship because you already had um, essentially the deterioration of U.S.-China relations, a geopolitical rivalry that has really been in the making for uh, decades. I mean, China has had a grand strategy that was mostly unknown to Americans, where they sought to um, to surpass us, to replace us um, as the dominant power worldwide to do this through the use of our technology. I mean, all the technology transfer of the past decades is now coming back um, to be positioned against us through their industrial policies, their military buildup. I mean, they're designing a military that's built for combat with the United States in the Pacific and with their, um, you know, with their own neighbors all around Asia. And uh, this is all essentially built off our technology and through our trade. So once you had the trade war, once you had the real um, reckoning on the U.S.-China relationship where we just said, look, we're not going to have this anymore. We have to change strategies. Then suddenly, I mean, COVID um, goes across the world right in the aftermath of, of, of a trade deal of um you know, sort of new footing on U.S. strategy towards China. And it's disrupted um, so many things since then, as we've all experienced. But the thing that it's really done, I think, is it's start to cause um, businesses to rethink um, their supply chain dependencies on China. And even in, in a process where government was already beginning to rethink um, our national dependency on China. And at the forefront of all of that, of course, is the pharma industry and, and healthcare. Um, you know, and what's very important here is as uh, pharmaceutical supply chains come under scrutiny, um, as there are public-private partnerships to deal with the China dependency, I mean, at this point, you have so many bills in Congress that are meant to address this. Um, I think it provides a, a template that's going to be applied to other industries. I mean, if we can fix our uh, medical supply chains and re and reduce or eliminate our dependency on China, eventually you apply that to other strategic industries. And in the meantime, China's use of the pandemic, I mean, the way that they see it, because I read a lot of party statements and such, um, they believe that it's put them in an advantageous position in um, the geopolitical competition with the United States. I mean, they've talked uh, a great deal about turning crisis into an opportunity, which is an old sort of um, you know, military uh, doctrine uh, concept that they have. And, you know, I, th I think we at this point understand that we can't depend on China for, um, you know, what many call critical products, but certainly for our medical supply chains. And whether it's the executive uh, branch or, or the U.S. Congress, I mean, everybody, I think, is, is um, you know, attending to this issue now. And it's going to be up to companies, to CEOs, to supply chain officers, to strategists to begin to find a new footing in a world where the U.S.-China relationship is coming apart decoupling and will not be put back together. We don't want to put it back together. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous adversary state. Um, so businesses are going to have to start understanding that and, and working around this. And supply chain is the tip of the spear in that entire problem set. So it sounds like the circumstance uh, with what happened to the pandemic and the impact on pharmaceutical supply, there was already movement towards that. And it, this may have shed a light that uh, the, 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 the government or some of the, the, the corporate institutions started to, to notice even more. So um, with, with what occurred um, and, and as that separation's occurring, where next should we be thinking about that this pharma clarion call where where is it telling us to think about next? Is it technology? Is it or is there is there no one or nothing that is being sourced in China today that will be the same downstream? 
Well, I think one really has to think about it in terms of strategic industries. I mean, certainly there's been a focus on national security supply chains. So, you know, critical technology that's an input to, um, you know, U.S. to the U.S. military or to allied militaries, that matters. Um, but also, you know, the, the, the prospect of in the long term losing um, more and more pieces of our industrial base, that has to be reversed now. So I think, you know, the other side of, of what what's happened as, um, you know, U.S. government awakens to the problem of, of China dependency is, uh, you know, for, for, for decades, we've been offshoring the U.S. industrial base. We're going to have to bring it back. So I think um, to look at supply chains of the future, we have to also think about the, the entire um, prospect of reindustrializing the United States of America. Um, to, to be, you know, doubling down on China investment as though that's part of a global economy, I think is, is senseless at this point. I mean, what you really need is to ensure that America is, um, you know, a, a leader, not only in, for instance, in the pharma um, industry, uh, medical innovation, but also in um, production and the ability to manufacture ourselves. I mean, that was one of the, the key points in um, what COVID-19 taught us is that we have giant gaps in our um, industrial base. Um, we are, we were unable. I mean, if we all remember living through this in the early months, um, we, we did not have PPE. We did not have, um, you know, ventilators. I mean, we weren't producing this stuff. It was coming from China. And what's worse was China actually, um, according to the Congressional Research Service, nationalized its, um, you know, medical production, uh, facilities and they took control of foreign companies' uh, production lines and redirected them towards China. So they were, they were clamping down on exports. They were buying up, um, PPE around the world. And they nationalize their own industry. So you can you ask yourself. I mean, this is a country that um, you know is 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 building a military that's designed to fight us. That is uh, you know engaged in industrial policies that are meant to um, dominate the industries of the future, from robotics to biofarm to ICT. Um, and you know all of our Fortune 500s are over there with with enough market share that it really matters to their thinking on on you know their business globally. And and this is a country that can nationalize. It's, uh, you know, in, in an entire industry. It can, um, you know, redirect exports. It can stop exports. It can even redirect uh, foreign companies' uh, production lines. So, so that tells you from the standpoint of national security or just, you know, being a country in general, I mean, being America, we can't depend on this place. Uh, we shouldn't. And that, that's leaving out um, the propaganda aspect where you have official Communist Party mouthpieces talking about, you know, if China wishes, they will plunge America into the sea rather, excuse me, plunge America into the inferno of coronavirus. I mean, this is what they're saying, you know, as they also, you know, devour Hong Kong and threaten Taiwan and kill Indian soldiers on their border. So we have this huge geopolitical problem, but we also have um, this economic issue where our dependency on China is so completely unsustainable that it forces us into one direction, which is we have to rebuild at home. And I think that's where the government is focused. I think that was true of, of Trump, and it's also going to be true of Biden. I mean, he's planned hundreds of billions of investment in infrastructure R&D and, and all sorts of things. So I think you're going to find actually a lot of bipartisan consensus on this. I mean, this really needs to be the, the work program for the U.S. government to, to start rebuilding at home. And what matters most is, is we need, um, you know, willing, I think, uh, you know, partners in business um, who, who are ready to, to start working on rebuilding America. Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I think there is an element of, of um, many people want to go out and capture Chinese growth, but understanding what's unsustainable at, at, and how really the next decade is going to be about rebuilding here. Uh, that would be my opinion based on what's gone on with China. That the, the rebuilding of America um, really strikes a chord and to hear, as you describe, and I'm trying to have our conversation get too political, but 
that this is where the Trump administration was going and it appears as if the Biden administration is going that. So that that, you know, sounds like it is a um, an accepted um, um, element that we all have to be aware of. So um, let's let's use um, pharma as, as the example. If we're going to need to be um, build it in America, construct in America. Are you measuring this reconstruction, this this move? Do you measure it in years, decades? Is there a vulnerability that comes that is exacerbated if we're measuring in decades? Does it need to occur in some sort of subset of years? Well, I, I do think that based on the U.S.-China geopolitical competition, which, you know, if we take that as the most important and significant um, geopolitical contest of our lifetimes, um, you know, the, the time frame on that competition is really one in which this decade, the 2020s, is the most important because this is the decade in which China could surpass the U.S. economically. It could build a military that is, you know, reaches parity with with our military. I mean, they could become a technology leader and an industry leader in a lot of um, critical areas. So it's really the 2020s. Um, you know, I like to call it the decisive decade. Um, but this is the time in which we're going to have to, um, you know, form a new U.S. grand strategy. We haven't had to do that really since the Cold War. Um, we're going to have to focus on China. And above all, we're going to have to um, be incredibly capable in um, industrial capacity, I think. I think it's something we've left uh, behind because of globalization, but it has to come back now because globalization never really foresaw the geopolitical um, you know, problems of, of uh, you know, offshore into adversary countries. But now we all understand what that is. And, and you know, certainly the pandemic and, and the pharma sector um, have, have shown us uh, the truth of all that. And it's also um, something important here is the pandemic has, has allowed, I think, um, U.S. government to dust off some uh, very old but important um, policies and strategies, not least of which is the Defense Production Act. I mean, you look at the Defense Production Act, which has been invoked for the sake of the pandemic, and it's really about um, being able to produce here, being able to uh, partner with industry. At the end of the day, our strength is our private sector. I mean, the Fortune 1000 is two-thirds of the U.S. economy. So we're going to have to have, um, you know, U.S. private sector working um, within a national security uh, sort of uh, set of parameters where it's about, we, we, you know, we won't survive if we don't have, um, you know, an adequate industrial base and, and adequate uh, self-sufficiency in critical industries. And that also means we can work with allies. I mean, it just means that we can't depend on China. So, so seeing the pharma industry begin to take that on board, I mean, seeing all the tight cooperation uh, between governments and, you know, uh, market leaders, I mean, that all, I think, sets a precedent here um, that you wouldn't have had without the pandemic. So, so in many ways, uh, pharma is at the leading edge of um, how government and, and private sector can work together. Um, but I think we're going to see that across a, a wide number of industries. I mean, at the end of the day, um, it, it has always been our private companies that stepped in to meet our greatest geopolitical challenges, whether it was General Motors, um, you know, powering uh, us in the Second World War, or, you know, whether it was uh, DARPA and Silicon Valley. I mean, that sort of... Um, you know, entire uh, tech constellation that was produced by government, but ultimately became, um, you know, our, our uh, world leading uh, private sector in tech. I mean, th this we've had a very long and healthy relationship between government and industry that goes back, you know, decades now. And we're going to have to start doing that again. And I think that's a very different thing from how many multinationals look at the world. Um, and, and it's going to be incumbent upon them to have a more realistic sense of uh, what's driving that, why it's necessary and why 
um, you know, the U.S.-China uh, competition is going to drive, um, you know, so much of what has to happen in, uh, in, in our strategic industries. Um, you know, one other side to this, of course, is that in, in China, um, you know, not only do you have massive state-owned enterprises, very well-known, massive state banks, um, but the Communist Party in recent years under Xi Jinping is taking, uh, you know, really uh, expanding its influence over its private companies. And we've all seen the Ant Financial Alibaba saga of the past few months. Um, but the bottom line is its companies are being redirected into a program that they called civil military fusion, which means that the innovation that happens in the civilian economy becomes, uh, you know, is, is ultimately uh, there for the taking for, for, for the Chinese military. So, uh, and, and all kinds of companies you wouldn't think about. I mean, logistics companies are very important to civil military fusion, for example. And as you've seen the vaccine, um, you know, it, uh, sort of, uh, you know, global vaccine distribution in the way that China's out there selling, um, you know, its vaccine to countries like Turkey and Brazil and Indonesia and donating it to places like Zimbabwe, um, you know, they're, they're, I, th I think it's going to be very important for our pharma companies to, to be out in global markets uh, now, uh, you know, going head to head with Chinese companies that are uh, backed by the Chinese state and sort of operating within this global pandemic environment towards, you know, on some level, um, you know, the Communist Party's uh, goals for influence, uh, especially in the emerging world. So, so it's a global competition, too. It's not just partnership with, with government. It's, it's understanding the global um, U.S.-China competition. That's where that's where industry leaders, supply chain officers, um, you know, strategists all need to they, they need to begin to to really uh, uh, understand that all very very clearly and form strategy around that. So um, I, I think that we you know take this back a year. Um, many folks would know the names, uh, you know, J and J, um, maybe Pfizer, but. I don't think they would think of Moderna, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, as being those companies that were potentially standing between the life that many are leading today, double masking uh, a lot now, to where we're going to get to. And you described that there's going to be this, you know, need for the you know, the strength of the U.S., our, 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 our corporate capabilities and, and to step up. Um, and um, are you are you getting that feeling that it's being is it being heard across the the uh, the corporate land? I'm not going to ask you for which are the who's going to be the next, you know, who's going to be the next uh, Moderna that, you know, a year ago people would not have known who they are. And now it's am I going to get Moderna? Am I going to get you know, Pfizer, do you, do you think that that is being heard and, you know, that the political strife that we've, you know, had is not masking or, or, or having our ears be close to that? Are, are they, are they going to step up? Are they, are they ready to step up or do they need, do they need another pandemic like jolt? Another, I don't know whether we want to call this a black swan or a white swan, but they're going to take, is it going to take something else to slap and slap us in the face and, and know what it is? Or, or are we already far enough down the road to know that that's where we need to go? Well, I, th I think it's, it's still a, a, a very large process. And I think this is true across uh, industries, you know, at, at my company Atlas organization that I founded, I work with, you know, executives across different strategic industries to help them, you know, deal with the problems of U S China competition, understand, um, you know, how this is going to impact their strategy and how to, 
reposition their businesses to succeed in in a in a world that's going to be very different from the last twenty years. Um, and you know what, what I find is that there's um, you know companies still have a very global outlook. I mean they're looking at all they're they're looking at sort of how do you repair the the sort of fissures that are um, you know coming in the global economy. But I, I think they're not yet necessarily. Um, seeing how how clear this is going to be once there's a U.S.-China decoupling, which is another important subject. I mean, as the U.S. and Chinese economies sort of start to split apart on technology and, you know, critical industries, and as the economic competition really gets into high gear, um, you know, at that point, I think I think it's going to be much more beneficial for our market leaders um, to, to, to really, you know, make a call on where this whole thing is going, realize that the power of the U.S. market is probably the most important thing. And at the end of the day, we're going to be in a a very deep economic competition for, um, you know, which economy is larger and which is more influential globally. Um, and also the U.S. alliance system is two thirds of, um, you know, global GDP. So ultimately, as that, I think, you know, becomes more and more of an economic community as all of these uh, states, whether it's Australia or Japan or in Europe or India, um, you, you know, as they realize how, how misaligned the sort of uh, uh, geopolitical relationship um, with China is versus the the sort of uh, market access goals and, and trade relationships. I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're going to have to form um, a strong, stable uh, economic community across um, the world's democracies, and and I think that's going to change a lot for um, what it means to be a multinational corporation. I think being a multinational corporation, um, you know, in a Cold War, uh, in a second Cold War, is going to be a, a quite a difficult thing to do. So corporates have to rethink that strategy. But I, I do believe that what they need to understand most is that um, their home is here. I mean, this is this is where all our big market leaders come from. And, and at the end of the day, our loyalties have to be to the United States of America. And it's up to us all, I think, to, to realize the full potential of the United States. Because as you head into the next horizons of, um, you know, uh, industrial uh, internet of things and just you know, innovation in, in, in biopharmaceuticals and everything else. I mean, it really is going to be uh, the United States, I think, has has a much, um, you know, we haven't peaked in any way, shape or form. And it's going to be up to our um, our companies, our, our sort of visionaries and our and our uh, government to sort of figure out how we're going to proceed as as a um, as a country in a kind of second space race in China that takes shape not just in space, but in every strategic industry, you know, whether that's pharma or auto or you know, um, additive manufacturing or robotics or just, I mean, we're going to have to do a lot of um, important building here. And, 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 and a lot of that has to do with being able to, uh, to reduce our vulnerabilities. I think um, government understands that very clearly. And, and that's going to have to be, um, you know, really built by private industry. Um, so, so, you know, I, I've, I've yet to see the, the full awakening there, but um, it's really what the problem means. It, it means that we're going to have to uh, be so competitive uh, versus China, and that's going to require our business leaders. I I only have a few minutes left, and I can keep going. And uh, but um, I, you know, there's a level set for folks. What you talk about, you know, resonates for someone who uh, grew up uh, in a lot of different places, but calls the Northeast home, um, and has now decided to reside in Tennessee. Um, about four or five miles as a crow flies just that way. There's a you know, Volkswagen uh, location that is you know going to be where they manufacture the electric cars. And I wonder here in Tennessee and the surrounding states just how much of that revitalization of the things that need to be 
manufactured and constructed are going to be constructed down here in my backyard. And I'm really thrilled about that. So I got one, I got one thing to sort of close on and I want to, you know, go way off topic, but I'm fascinated as you talk about this, this separation, this, this fissure that's occurring between this and it's, it has to, um, and again, I'm not trying to say whether we're politically good or bad, but we're doing stimulus in the economy. Um, as we speak, there's ongoing discussion of how much more stimulus is going to be done that does add to um, a potential, a likelihood that China will be taking more of our debt. How does that all play into that? that fissure, that, that, that separation between our two countries? Well, at the end of the day, there's a serious financial component to all of this. I mean, you know, it's one of our greatest strengths is the U.S. financial system and, and sort of national wealth in general. Um, and, you know, the most important thing in my mind is, is, is for there to be such a strong investment case for America that you have not only, um, you know, corporate executives deciding to allocate here, but also investment banks, pension funds, everybody else deciding to allocate here. Um, so, so I think that that case has yet to be built. And one of the, um, I think, most important things in a, in a bad way about what's happened in the pandemic is that China has come out of this uh, surpassing the United States for the first time as a destination for FDI. So, um, you know, right now you have our banks and, um, you know, financiers really focused on the China market. I mean, it's it's in every uh, you know, all kinds of Chinese companies are in MSCI and other benchmarks and such. And that's dire it's directing a whole lot of capital over to China. And the problem is that that's ultimately going to wind up in Chinese corporations that then start to um, go after our market leaders globally. So, so it's really a, a, a very self-destructive process to be capitalizing an adversary state. We need to be capitalizing, um, you know, the United States. And I think that uh, the decoupling process will, um, you know, we'll also have to uh, have some constraints on investment in China. You've seen a little bit of that through investment bans. Um, but, you know, you really have to, I, I think that, that the uh, wise long-term investor in all this has to understand the, the next decade is, is a U.S.-China um, economic competition, and, and we want to bet on our country. This was truly fascinating. I, I, um, I'm out of time, sadly, uh, but I want to thank Dr. Jonathan Ward, who is the founder and president of, Ath of the Atlas Organization, for his time during our uh, pharma and healthcare summit. This, this was a wide-ranging, fascinating discussion. I really want to thank you. I appreciate it. And my expectation is, is that uh, Freight Waves down the road is going to ask you for more of your time and uh, more of your really fascinating and stimulating thoughts. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dr. Ward, really, really very much. Thank you, George, and thank you to everyone at FreightWaves. Thanks a bunch. Everybody, enjoy the rest of the summit. Uh, I appreciate uh, everyone who is viewing and make sure that you network, make sure that you're um, building those relationships through all the folks that, um, who are attending. Thanks again. Have a great day.